Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, and I am joined here by Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Hi. Hey. <laughs> How are things? Oh, things are great. Okay. Things are wonderful. Let's see. We're in the wonderful month of February yeah. in the year of our Lord 2020. Yeah. You're the vocation director of the province. You got a vocation weekend coming up. Anything yeah. about that vocation weekend that's especially exciting? No. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, we do have a vocation weekend coming up our first of the spring semester. It is the 14th to the 16th of February. So keep those guys in your in your prayers as they come to. Uh, to check us out as they come to look at our life, spend some time. It's the perfect weekend uh, because they have to choose between their lady friends or the friars wow. on Valentine's Day weekend. Dang. And if I remember correctly, I think we both came on, we were on the same vocation weekend and it was the February Valentine's Day weekend sort of experience, <laughs> which is just perfect. Oh yeah, such a good time to discern. Very romantic. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, cool. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So, let's see. Also, the month of February, I mentioned that I work for the Thomistic Institute. I've got some sweet travels coming up. What am I doing? You didn't mention that. Just the- Oh, yeah. Now I'm mentioning okay. it. <laughs> I've begun mentioning it at this very moment. Um, let's see. I'm going to visit uh, campuses at Brown in Providence and then MIT and Harvard in Boston. And then some events at West Point. There's a chapter there that just got started at the United States Military Academy and then at Yale. And then we have a conference at Princeton on friendship, good life, happiness, those types of things, which should be great. That's uh, the same weekend, actually, as the vocation uh, vocation weekend. And then going out to the West Coast, or Mountain and West. So there's a, uh, I'm going to be at Colorado State University, go Rams. And then at University of Utah, I don't know what their mascot is, go Utes. And then... Um, My cousin Vinny. Nice, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the little D-ellipse. And then um, finally at the University of Oregon, go Ducks. So yeah. February ship shaping up. It's looking like wow. it could be action packed. Wow. It's jam packed. It is indeed. Yeah, but not unto death. At least hopefully. Well, if I did, never mind. Um, <clears throat> so on this episode, we are going to talk about uh, the virtue of chastity. Now, I suspect that a lot of people uh, are accustomed to hearing, you know, chastity talks of this, that, or the other sort. They're a frequently recurring feature of youth conferences. Um, there's something, it's something, obviously, because folks struggle with it, it's something that people place a particular emphasis on. But I think, as a result, sometimes we can get the wrong impression about the virtue of chastity. So in this conversation, we're hoping to broaden the base or, um, at the very least, entertain some things that may not ordinarily be part of the conversation. So I thought a good place to start would be with desire. And I think uh, in conversations regarding chastity, oftentimes you hear it said like you desire too much, you need to stop, you need to stop desiring so much. So kind of like rein it in, uh, settle down, and just everything will be fine. But uh, it seems uh, more in keeping with the Christian tradition that we don't desire too much; rather, we desire too little. So rather than placing an emphasis on the negation, which is a feature of the virtue of chastity, it can be more spiritually fruitful to place the emphasis on the affirmation. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, in what sense then uh, is like is desire good? How is desire, um, you know, part of the Christian life? How is desire at the heart of the life of virtue? Yeah. So we're you know as as human beings made in the image and likeness of God, we are attracted to those things. Our will moves to those things that we find to be good. Now, of course, there are times when um, we see something that is actually good. 
because it is actually good and we want it. But other times we sort of perceive um, things to be good that are that are less than good. Um, and still, because we perceive them incorrectly, uh, we still desire them or move towards them. And this is the case with, with respect to sexuality, desires, and that sort of front. So there's a way in which we're made as human beings, uh, a way in which we're made to express and to live our sexuality that the virtue of chastity sort of reigns in and, and aims. It doesn't sort of, sort of um, look at suppressing, suppressing our, our inclinations and our sort of desires with respect to sexuality, but to sort of um, pointing them in the right direction. So a lot of times what often happens is, uh, particularly with desires and chastity and sexuality, is that at root, um, there are the desires that we have for fulfillment, for love, for union, these sorts of things are, are good, but they're sort of found or chased after in the wrong places. So desire, I think, is something that, that we share, or it is something that we share um, as, as human beings. Desire for the good, desire to be fulfilled, desire to be happy. And because we're a hylomorphic creature, both body and soul, we desire that in both our, in both our body and our soul. Um, so rather than a sort of thinking of suppressing desires or um, changing desires, I think what in sort of the Thomistic tradition and the Thomistic mind, it's it's less of a sort of, yeah, suppression or changing and more really of a, a flourishing and a fulfillment, a sort of maturing in 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 those sorts of things of allow allowing ourselves to be purified, our desires to be purified, but also matured so that they can be uh, properly sought after, properly fulfilled. Um, this this sort of desire, uh, the idea of desire is not unique to, to Thomas. You know, it's not a unique sort of Thomistic thing, but we, we find it, you know, throughout the Christian tradition, St. Augustine, St. Catherine. Um, yeah, all of, all of the, you know, sort of the sort of greats as only two others, but um, it's really at root for, at root, that root of our, our sort of action, why we do what we do. It's motivated by, by desire, really. Yeah. No, it's interesting, like, you mentioned St. Augustine, St. Catherine of Siena, and I think that uh, these saints and other saints draw out or bring to our attention specifically how desire will will kind of help us or um, empower us in our pursuit of holiness. So, like, St. Augustine is famously quoted as having said that my weight is my love, so that love and desire is what makes us to gravitate towards the very things for which we are made. So you can, you know, like you said, we're body and soul. So we're made for, you know, to preserve our existence. That is to say, to keep living. We're also made to hand on life, right? So for procreation and education of children. And we're also made to enjoy spiritual goods that represent our fulfillment, like to know the truth about God and to live well in society. And part of developing a knack for living human life well is to affirm those goods in their proper order, right? To have them in such a way that they are not like kind of just arranged, but that your loves incline to the goods as they merit to receive your love. Um, so rather than putting all of your stock in something that's low or lower by comparison to the most exalted of goods, you affirm each in its place. Um, so like St. Thomas, I think of, um, there's a book that I read when I was first getting excited about becoming a Dominican called The Quiet Light. And there's a story recounted during St. Thomas's time when he was on house arrest and his sisters would come up to his room and they would ask him, Thomas, you know, how does, how does one become a saint? Uh, to which the author puts in his mouth the words, desire it, desire it. Because desire, I mean, it's, it's what sets love in motion. Because by love, we recognize what's fitting for us, right? We talked about these different things that are fitting for us. But desire is what inclines us towards those things and sets our feet on the path. So rather than thinking in terms of chastity, rather than thinking about the no that need be said to various uh, goods or less than goods, 
uh, we should think rather about the yes that need be said uh, to those most excellent goods which effectively sort out the rest. Um, so let's think then just a little bit about how virtue plays a role in this because we're going to get to a discussion of chastity and chastity is a virtue. So specifically, what is it that virtue does uh, to desire? Because you've got, you know, like we said, you've got all these desires and they can be somewhat chaotic if they are undisciplined. Uh, so we want to introduce a kind of discipline into our lives. So how is it that the, um, that the virtues bring about this reign of discipline or this reign of order? Yeah, Thomas talks about the virtues as being sort of tools, in a sense. They're, they're means, they're ways by which, when animated, animated by grace, that they direct, uh, the virtues direct our actions uh, to a supernatural end, namely happiness, uh, union with God, uh, beatitude, really. So we, when we think about the virtues, we want to think about them not as a sort of um, action in themselves, but a disposition to act in a particular way. So they're, they're a power that render us capable or allow us to to do a particular action um, so we you know we're talking about chastity so the virtue of chastity um, allows us uh, whether we have you know the practice virtue or you know also aided by grace it allows us to live within within basically the realm of chastity within proper human sexuality proper human uh, human flourishing um, the yeah, I was going to say, too, with respect to that, um, like when we talk about the virtues as instruments or talk about them as the types of things that perfect our acts. Okay, sometimes like, I mean, certainly when I explain these things, I find myself using words that aren't often on common offer, right? Like I can kind of get jargony. And I think sometimes it's really helpful just to break it down to the most basic units. And you can think about it in terms of like, okay, we're made on the way and not at the end. So you can think about how God is, is at the end in the sense that like God doesn't unfold or God doesn't get better. God just is his end. God is his being. God is his love. Um, so it's not like God is getting better and better, right? And then you can think about angels, right? So angels, the, the die is cast for them by a single choice. Either they affirm to be from God and for God in the way that God chooses, or they um, defect from that choice and then they are forever uh, you know, among the ranks of demons. But in our case, uh, it takes us many, many, many steps, movements. It takes us uh, a great deal of time to get to the end. And in pursuing that goal, it's very arduous, right? It can sometimes be sad and lonely. Um, at the very least, we find it boring. And so we need the virtues basically as tools, like you said, or instruments to help steel us against the difficulties and trials of life, and then to have us more fixed and firm and more certain of the goods that we need to, um, yeah, the goods that we need to love or the goods that we need to affirm, the goods with which we need to profitably engage in order to make it to that end. So yeah, I like that. I like that image of, you know, instrument or that image of tool. Mind you, you know, the virtues make you to be good. So it's not just like something that you toss to the right. side when you go to heaven, like charity, for instance, is going to abide. But it's something that is for the sake of, it's for the sake of the end. Right. It's important too, I think, to remember that the virtues, it's, it's yeah, they are the tools, they are the sort of these, um, the means, and as Father Gregory just said, they, they're not, you know, to sort of be um, objectified or just sort of kind of utilized and kind of discarded. But um, through and with God's grace, the virtues, and this is, I think, particularly important with respect to chastity, they, they not only help us to live chastely, help us to live in accord with the good, but they also heal and elevate the desires that we have. So um, often we can think, again, particularly with chastity and, and sort of struggles against those temptations or those 
those sins that the, the way to sort of overcome or grow in holiness is by simply kind of uh, some stoic like self mastery mm. that if I just try hard, if I kind of white knuckle through it, you know, I'll, I'll just be able to, I'll survive it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop sinning. I'll stop falling to temptation. But that's not really the fullness of the under of, of, of virtue and the understanding here, but that through our Lord's grace, we're, we're strengthened to live um, in accord with the good. We're, we're healed from, from the wounds, from original sin, but also our own sin. Um, I think that's incredibly important to remember that, that grace heals us um, of our past sins on God's time, um, but that there is hope of, of, you know, healing in that sort of sense. But it also, and this is, I think is particularly key, that it elevates our desires. Thomas talks about um, that when the, the, our lower passions, for example, for food, sex, drink, when they're incorporated into reason by grace, when sort of governed by reason, when we when our sexuality is lived in accord with reason, um, it sort of participates in reason such that it contributes to to our holiness, to our growth in in virtue and our growth in uh, in our sort of pursuit of of Him towards that end. So it's really important, I think, to keep those things in mind too. That it's not it's not just a matter of suppressing some sort of like fallen desires that we have, but yeah. of a reorientation, a, a healing, um, and an elevation towards towards God, and that that also brings back into focus uh, the fact of our desires being good, right? So our desires are good. It's not that we're born bad. It's just that we're born bent, you know, um, and that what virtue does is in healing and elevating in us, it gives our desires the capacity, or it gives them the power to really attain to their full grandeur, to attain to their full scope. So you can think about like. Um, for instance, in something like like discerning what it is that you're supposed to do, whether it's like a vocation or picking a job or maybe undertaking a big move or what college you're going to go to, you know, whatever it might be, um, it can be difficult to trust that your desires are in fact good because we know from experience that we are like limitless, limitlessly ca- capable of self-deception. We can tell ourselves all kinds of stories about what we ought to do and what other people expect of us and this, that, and the other thing. And it can be very overwhelming because how am I to know whether or not my desires are to be followed? Well, the promise of the life of virtue is that it's healing those desires, which are God-given, and that it's strengthening those desires such that God can make his will known more and more through your actual love of the things on offer. So instead of thinking like, okay, I want to do this thing, therefore it must be bad, and I should take up some other course, you can begin to actually trust your desires and get better at telling yourself the story of your own life and and, and cease to kind of worry so much about self-deception and what comes with it. Okay. Um, we're at a point, I think, where we might take just a quick break, give you a little break. You can uh, use that as you see fit. It's going to be about 12 seconds long, so you don't have time for much, <laughs> but it's yours. All right, we'll be right back. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash Godsplaining. And we're back. So thanks so much for joining us here on God's Planning. We're delighted to chat with you, to chat with each other, uh, to talk about the virtue of chastity. Again, uh, just kind of by way of introduction, we talked about how chastity is often discussed in the Christian tradition, and it comes up in you know our contemporary world because a lot of people want to live chastely. They find it difficult, and so you get a lot of exhortations to chastity when you attend conferences or listen to podcasts or come across Christian teaching in these different venues. And so what we're doing here is just situating the virtue of chastity within an understanding of desire, love and desire, and uh, within an understanding of virtue. 
So maybe just a, a last brief point about virtue in general, and then we can dive into the virtue of chastity in particular. I think one other insight that is helpful to bring before our eyes is the fact that virtue should make life easy. And that doesn't mean to say that like virtue should give you a sweet trust fund so that way you can cease working for the rest of your life. Like virtue is about being an entrepreneur and then checking out at the age of 29. No, um, but it's to say that virtue makes it so that you don't always find it difficult to do the good, but in turn, well, in time, you find it to be easy, prompt, and joyful. So in the Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle talks about the kind of transformation that need happen from vice to virtue, and St. Thomas picks this up. And he talks about how when one is vicious, he does the evil thing and he delights in it. He doesn't really have any remorse of conscience. It's just something that he's accustomed to. But, you know, once you kind of have your conscience pricked, or perhaps this moral development is not necessary for you because you were raised to love the good, but some people, uh, the next kind of rank or tier is the incontinent. So this would be the type of people who would know what's good. They would kind of want to do what's good, but they would find themselves incapable. So then we can pass on to the continent. The continent, as, as we're moving from the vicious to the incontinent to the continent in this sort of moral spectrum, the continent person is the person, I, I think often at this level is, is where we think kind of the end is for us with respect to virtue, that the continent person does the good act, they do the good thing, but there's there's a lot of whether, you know, there's there's a struggle there to do the good thing. You know, um, we're talking about chastity, so, you know, the, there might be temptation and struggle back and forth, but ultimately, you know, the the good is pursued. You know, one doesn't fall into sin. And I think often, like I was saying, that that's where we, we picture sort of the fullness of virtue. It's simply not doing something, um, which is which is not what the tradition, you know, what the church teaches us, that in fact, there's a fourth step here. So vice, incontinence, continence, where we think perhaps we should be, and then virtue. And as Father Gregory said, virtue, um, when we're living the fullness of the virtue, um, we act joyfully, promptly, and easily. Um, we do the good thing um, as if we were, you know, made for that, which we are, uh, without any sort of struggle. It becomes part of who we are. It's it's sort of that habit or the habitus in the sort of theological sense um, that we don't even, in some sense, at times, we don't even have to think about it. It just becomes so ingrained into who we are um, by grace, but also by the practice of the virtues uh, that that that's, that's where we want to, um, I guess, hold out hope for, for this sort of ultimate flourishing. Now, we might never arrive at that in this life. You know, we could, mm-hmm. we might not. You know, that I guess our, our Lord's providence and his wisdom reign supreme here. But that, that's sort of the foretaste of what awaits us in heaven when we're sort of wholly restored um, in, in the beatific vision. Um, yeah, and it's like, I think, I think it's helpful for people to hear too that the, the hope is not that you always have to exhibit or muster the strength of, you know, some kind of like Herculean effort to do the good, but that you can actually come in turn to find it easy, less agonizing, less anguished. Um, and, and in turn, delightful to do the good. Um, and I think that, you know, when we kind of call to mind that the, that the seed of merit or the principle of merit isn't difficulty. The principle of merit is love. So those, those deeds, those acts are most worthwhile and most meritorious, which are done with greatest love. And difficulty may sometimes prove the love, but it doesn't necessarily make an act better if it be difficult. It makes an, ask, it makes an act better when it is done with greater love. Okay, so let's drill down then. And let's uh, talk about chastity in particular. So each, um, let's see, each virtue St. Thomas will teach has a particular object. It concerns a particular type of thing or concerns a particular act. <clears throat> I think when people hear chastity, they might associate it with the evangelical council, so they might think that it's for um, religious, 
or they might associate it with not having uh, sexual intercourse. And so they might just think about it as like a premarital thing. Um, but chastity, it turns out, is a virtue for everyone at, uh, at all stages of life. And it takes on a different shape depending on what state of life you occupy, but it's a virtue. So Father Jacob Bertram, what is chastity concern? What's like the object of chastity? What does it moderate? Yeah, so the virtue of chastity falls under the cardinal virtue of temperance when we're looking at that. So the four um, cardinal virtues are the four moral virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. So chastity is situated under temperance. And remember that temperance denotes a sort of kind of or helps with a kind of moderation um, of things that are chiefly concerned with the passions or sensible goods. So as I as I mentioned a little earlier in the podcast, the three sort of classic are food, drink, and sex. Um, so of the food, drink, and sex, chastity pertains to moderation of those sensible goods that have to do with sex. Um, so it belongs to chastity that um, we moderate as human beings, um, our, our body and our desire for sex and our sexuality in accord with the judgment of reason. Um, so the virtue of chastity points us sort towards sort of uh, right human uh, love in a sense. I think that I, I'll often say that chastity makes true love or human love possible because it's through the virtue of chastity uh, that we understand what love is for and how love is expressed uh, both in body and soul and as father gregory was saying uh, you know chastity the life of chastity living chastity is something that all christians all people but all you know are are called to live but in different ways in different times of one's life or in different states of life um so I think that chastity, at least sort of for like our own understanding, rather than as sort of like we were saying before, it shouldn't be understood as sort of a, a suppression of who we are, but mm -hmm. a sort of um, a pointing, a redirection, a, a fine tuning of how how we are to live uh, as as sexual beings. So I think too, um, when Saint Thomas talks about the virtue of temperance, <clears throat> he lists a bunch of different virtues that are associated with it. So certainly, you know, chastity concerns sexual intercourse, and then he'll talk about like sobriety, which concerns food and drink or some associated things with that. But then he also talks about modesty. And he says that the former ones, they concern those passions, which are especially vehement, the ones that are most instinctual, right? They're, I mean, you think about it, sexual intercourse, um, and then food and drink, they, they're most concerned with handing on life. So food and drink, if you don't partake of food and drink, then you yourself will die. So in order to preserve your individual existence, you need them. And then with respect to sexual intercourse, you need it in order to hand on life to the next generation. So again, it's about, they're about preservation of existence in a kind of urgent way. And those are very instinctual drives in the human person. And as a result of which, the passions which uh, kind of generate those inclinations are very, very strong, very, very vehement. But with the fall, they get bent, uh, and then they become disintegrated. And so it's possible to go off the rails with those things uh, in a peculiar way. So on the one hand, you know, they can, they can give rise to big falls, but also it's understandable that they would give rise to big falls. Like when you think about um, Dante's Divine Comedy, right? So his poem arranged in three parts to talk about hell, purgatory, and heaven. When you go down the circles of hell, you meet worse and worse sinners. And some of the very first sinners whom you meet are the lustful. And then when you ascend the Mount of Purgatory, you go up from the, the gravest of sins, like pride and envy, to the lightest of sins. And the last sinners that you meet in Purgatory are, again, the lustful. Now, mind you, Dante was an Italian, so he may have had like a kind of soft spot in his heart for the lustful. But that's 
Um, don't be offended by that. If you're Italian, I'm Italian. It's okay. Um, so, uh, so you can see that on the one hand, these things would be very strong. They would be touched by the fall in a peculiar way, but also it's, uh, it's understandable, not to say that it's pardonable or something that you would just trivialize, but it's understandable that these types of things would, would trip one up. Uh, so chastity basically just kind of bridles or it curbs. It reins in sexual desire, not to suppress, rather, but so that you can preserve the order of reason and, and you know, kind of work seamlessly within the law of God in your different relationships and in your friendships. And I think that, like, you know, the the we want to insist first on this dimension of sexual intercourse, but also it concerns uh, a broader array of goods, right? So it also informs our friendships, that we love a person in a way that's chaste. So, I mean, people are familiar in their experience with sometimes you can love a person in, su in such a way as to kind of draw them to yourself. Um, so loving is about willing the good of the beloved, right? And um, you, you see them as another self and you kind of get lost in their good and you cease to think about it as something that's competitive. Um, but it doesn't mean that you draw them to you, you know, in such a way that you kind of consume them or assimilate them. And so sometimes it takes a kind of modesty or chastity to be self-giving, to be self-sacrificial, and also to be self-effacing, you know, to kind of get out of the way of the relationship rather than being kind of lost in each other. So um, as concerns chastity, maybe we could just talk a little bit about how chastity looks in different states of life. So you've got the single person, you know, who's anticipating their vocation or maybe... Um, you know, they're, uh, in the case of a widow, their spouse has died or widower. And then you've got religious life and priesthood, right, uh, which take on its its different shape, but different people in different walks of life. So what, what would be some things about chastity that would be true across the board? And then what would be some things about chastity that would be peculiar to a different states? Yeah, at least across the board, it, it, what's shared by all is that we are all called to, chastity is sort of the broad or has the has the widest um, range here when we're talking about the way in which the Christian is is called to live. As I think one of us said before, that we're all called to live chastity, to live chastely in some way. And I think that's a great point that you just made. Even in our friendships, even in our sort of platonic relationships, that chastity still has to reign um, and sort of like govern there a bit. It still has a role to play, even in sort of non-sexualized relationships. Um, so chastity is that 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 sort of larger. Uh, picture. So somebody who's, you know, single, um, not yet sort of situated in a vocation, they're called to chastity, but also a sort of continence in their chastity. And continence simply means um, refraining from having sexual intercourse, the sexual act. Um, so it, everybody, all those not married, are, are called to are called to continence. Um, and even sometimes in marriage, if, if a couple's practicing natural family planning or these sort of things, there might be periods of continence where they're abstaining from having sex for this or that reason. Um, so chastity in the in the single state means that one is 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 continent. But chastity in the married state, for example, means that uh, that a married couple is um, engaged in the conjugal act, is having sexual intercourse as appropriate as a married couple. So chastity is not simply sort of as we had as said like the suppression of of sex, but it's again living our human sexuality properly in accord with our proper state. Um, the third, I guess, word that's often uh, associated here is, is celibacy or the celibate life, and that pertains simply to not getting married. Um, so you have chastity, which kind of governs our human sexuality. You have continence, which refers to the refraining of the sexual act, and then you have the celibate state, which means not getting married. Typically, I think when we think about this, we think about the priesthood or or consecrated religious life, the celibate state. Um, but it's not exclusive to that. But I think that's kind of that's where we would kind of experience it most readily. Yeah, so that, I think that gives us a good kind of philosophical background, a little bit of a theological background, and then some application in particular states. 
And as we kind of draw to a close here at the end of the episode, maybe we could just do a couple of, um, yeah, some, some counsel for, for growing in chastity, you know, things that would apply across states, but things that you think are especially pertinent or um, points of emphasis for, for those who could benefit from it. Yeah, you know, I think one, this, this reminds me of, or I was thinking when we were talking about desire in the beginning of, of the podcast, one of the things that I think is important and perhaps we don't do often is to, um, in our prayer life, to ask God uh, for the desire for things. You know, so it may be the case, you know, it may be the case that we uh, might be praying to be more chaste or to live a chaste life, but we also have to desire to want to live chastely. So I think that's that's a powerful prayer. You know, Lord, help me to want to be chaste, or even in other circumstances, you know, Lord, help me to want to love you more rather than just help me to be chaste. I think to to sort of recognize that we're, we're led by our desires and to have sort of the boldness to to pray for that in in a simple ways. Um, I think the other thing that's that's really important um, is that this sort of like. Uh, detachment, attachment sort of relationship in the spiritual life, particularly with sin and vice. You can think of uh, the the verse in, or the, the story in, in Matthew 12 where one demon is is uh, cast out, but, you know, he comes back to find the, the, the room cleaned and, and empty. And so it's filled with seven demons, you know, that come back. And our life moving from sort of the vicious, you know, if we have some vice, the vice, the incontinence, to the virtue eventually... Um, we can't simply sort of remove and create a vacuum. You know, the, the Christian life is not about getting rid of sin full stop. That's not the end. The Christian life is about union with Christ. So the, the, the whole move from sin of turning from that is not simply a, a turn from sin, but a turn to Christ, most particularly in the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. So as we pray to grow in the life of chastity, we also have to pray to grow in the, in the theological virtues mm. to be united to Christ. Because in the end, it's Christ and his grace that transforms us. It's not our sort of, I'm going to try harder because you can try as hard as you want. And uh, I think history kind of speaks for itself if we look at our own lives and these sorts of things. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I like that image of uh, the house swept clean, which proves, in fact, a vacuum. And I think that um, that brings before our eyes the fact that it's, it's not sufficient to just root out unchastity. It's better, in fact, to crowd it out, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that you can just uh, pluck uh, lower loves from the garden of your heart. You have to plant, um, yeah, like real, uh, deeper, more profound, more excellent loves that they take root there and that they hold the soil. So I think that, yeah, I mean, you, you root these things out certainly by prayer and sacrament, by making use of the sacrament of confession, receiving Holy Communion in a worthy state, having a, a habit of daily prayer, but also by growing loves for good things, for legitimate things, for things that can occupy the whole of your life and which constitute a good life. So for God, um, for contemplation, for you know healthy leisure, the type of stuff where you like read good books and you enjoy good company and you have good meals and you, you know, play good sports and games. Those are the types of things which can crowd it out, uh, can effectively crowd out on chastity. So we can't just batten on the spoil of lower loves, even those things, even if those things can be subjectively satisfying at times, right? Easy, um, not especially demanding of us, right? Because because part of growing in love is undertaking a kind of arduousness. Uh, so we're going to leave you with that, and we'll certainly be praying for you. We ask that you uh, pray for us. Uh, if you think that you know one of your friends might enjoy the conversation. Uh, please do share it with them. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you again on Godsplaining. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.